0: Dolly Internal, Combustion. Why do we need no. Petri. Oscar. Isaac, Steve,
1: Nick, How are you? I'm
0: good, man. I'm good. I am in lockdown, but the sun is shining, and um, you know, I don't have too many
1: meetings today, so life is good. Uh, I feel like I've got more meetings than normal in lockdown because I've all I have to do is spend all my time talking to people on my computer. Wow, what can you do eh and you're not even doing any work really exactly don't even do anything but so i thought <laughs> what we could do though is do a science shed special
0: science shed special yeah. because have you noticed there's a there's a big um viral pandemic going on at the moment what? steve What? <laughs> there is what are you talking about it's a viral
1: pandemic
0: <laughs> um and
1: well, uh, oh, yeah that a likely story next you'll be telling me the tories are going to pay everyone's <laughs> salary for 3 months <laughs> I'm not sure which one is the most uh, <laughs> the most unprecedented. That's true, but yeah, we've got a special guest this week, haven't we?
0: We have, yeah. So COVID's a, a, a virus, of course. Um, it's a disease which is caused by a virus. So it's good. To, I thought it would be a good opportunity to to find out a bit more about the virus and about wh- where it comes from. And um, for that reason, I mean, we've we've uh, we've asked. Uh, an old friend of mine who
1: I went to university yeah, with you know you actually know some virologists don't you? you actually you can call in some favors to to for them to explain stuff to us i do i've got a, a friend i was at university with
0: um called paddy and he's uh, he's an active researcher in the field of virology and
1: has worked extensively on coronaviruses in particular Fantastic. So this would be exactly the right person that we should be talking to, someone that actually knows what they're talking about other than us, who just, you know, uh, read, read the first, the abstract of a paper and pretend we're yeah. experts. And he's a really nice, cool guy as well. OK, well, I'm excited. So this, this podcast that everyone's about to listen to was recorded um, on the 1st of May. Uh, When we spoke to Paddy, he was very kind to kind of explain some of the background of of just not just coronavirus, but viruses in general, um, and how virologists kind of Think about viruses and where they come from and how they evolve, isn't that right?
0: Absolutely. So he was able to explain his own personal sort of insights on on the field as well and how it's developed over the past years. And how you know virology—it's always an important discipline, but it's it's maybe perhaps a little bit under-resourced previously. And now, obviously, because of COVID, we really desperately need people like Paddy to be doing research to try and develop the diagnostics and the understanding, which will eventually lead to to cures and vaccines so so yeah so so let's get on with it it.
1: let's get on with it
0: it's great to be here again steve and we're um we've got uh, great for everyone to join us and we we, are lucky this week because we've got a we've got a special haven't we special guest a special guest on the podcast because it's COVID time Um, and everyone's gone obviously
1: COVID crazy at the moment
0: because we're in lockdown. And it's uh, have
1: you noticed how everyone has everyone's become an expert in COVID now? Everyone knows about how long it lives on materials, they all (laughs) understand about you know how it's taken into everyone's an expert. Um, Oh, well, they think they're experts, (laughs) and that's why we're doing this today because we do have a genuine. Virologist with us
0: today, who hopefully we're going to ask a few questions on the virus and what's going on. And that's uh, Dr. Patrick McClure. Hi, Paddy.
2: Hi, how's it going, guys?
0: Hi,
1: Patrick. We're how's
0: great. Good to see you. So, um, just to explain the context, so Patrick's uh, um, uh, now a virologist, but was a friend of mine
1: at uh, university. So, we both. <laughs> did he did stop becoming a friend of you? <laughs> <laughs> Is he dead to you because he yeah. stopped doing being a biologist?
2: So we um, our, we did our degrees in biology together, didn't we? Nineteen ninety-five to ninety-eight at Nottingham.
0: It's a long time ago, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and I've never left actually. So there we go.
0: No, but it's it's great though because you're doing amazing things now. You've stayed in the in the field and and uh, maybe you want to explain to to everyone what you're what you're what you do
2: and um what you've been doing recently. Uh sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose thinking. Yeah, thinking back to uh, the degree time, even then I was keen to just be doing laboratory research. So, yeah, I was always I was keen to get into research, and then managed to get on a PhD in the virology group uh, with uh, in Nottingham with uh, Professor Jonathan Ball, uh, and also in, in the wider group um, uh, Professor Will Irving as well. Who was another guy who uh, lectured lectured us, didn't he? So yeah. that was on HIV, looking at. Um, entry into uh, cells in the genital tract so it's about sexual transmission and receptors there and receptor expression um so eventually yeah, i've sort of found, found myself up as a senior research fellow now yep. um and we've yeah we've covered a lot of ground really so well, i think one of the last times i saw you you were off to sierra leone so you
0: were training to go and work on the ebola outbreak
2: right? yeah that's right so yeah that was you know kind of similar sort of situation that we've you know got this there was an outbreak um, in the you know in the world. Um, obviously, this one's gone a bit further. But with Ebola, then it was in, sprung up in West Africa. And you went over and, there. Sorry, you went over there. I did. Yeah. So after the week long training, they prepared to go over. And then yeah, so we went over there for five weeks. And so the idea with that is that in West Africa, particularly Sierra Leone and other countries, you know, the the diagnostic capacity and the healthcare systems are pretty dire um yeah. and that, that's so they've got this you know deadly outbreak ripping around and they really need to determine who's got the virus and who hasn't because there's a lot of sick people anyway with yeah. you know, unfortunately with other treatable illnesses but so if you've got someone who's you know seriously ill have they got Ebola or not um could it be you know um, cerebral mal- malaria if it is that you don't want to put them on an Ebola uh, treatment ward so um the Diagnostic capacity there was sort of very important to make these quick calls about who's got it and who hasn't, and also when people are negative so they could leave the treatment centers. So, so yeah, I spent um five weeks near um Freetown in Sierra Leone.
0: Were, you, were you dressed in a full on hazmat suit the whole time? Were you sort of walking around no, due to the end
1: in, the, in my head, this is like uh, Paddy's dressed exactly like uh, Dustin Hoffman in Outbreak, with the full-on
2: thing. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, that. Okay, well, <laughs> the the teams so the teams treating the patients are not far off that. They've certainly got you know yeah complete body um, uh, coverage. They've got the you know ha- some sort of hazmat sort of full-on protection on the head. You know, thick gloves and wellies and everything's bleached and sort of burnt after you've you know been just just giving normal medical care to patients and that's an incredibly tough job the way we do it so we weren't we we're only like 20 yards away uh, um, there's a little walkway down which i sort of thought was a bit like a you know cricket wicket or something it's about that sort of distance from the hot zone as it were and the samples come down there and then they were basically triple contained and then you even opened the bags in buckets of bleach and then of course you had to wear a visor to even to open them but that was more about not splashing quite concentrated bleach in your face (laughs) and then everything but with a diagnostic lab everything then is taken into those sealed glove boxes
0: um i can picture these things like it's like a chamber where you've got like a pair of marigolds kind of inside out you stick your hands in the marigold
2: exactly that yeah yeah they um used to work on hiv in a cabinet like that and if you didn't tie the gloves up, they'd sort of shoot in and knock all your work over because they'd just be sucked in with these massive gauntlet gloves. You just want to absolutely reduce any risk of that, you know, getting out of that cabinet. So everything's being sort of soaked and wiped in bleach. You've actually got you got gloves on the outside. You then put your hands into those marigold-style gloves, and then mm. you put another pair of gloves on that you've passed in. You had to pass everything in through a pass box on the side. There's a yeah. little so you put all the stuff you need and you have to work out what you need including your samples seal it up then open another one on the inside and bring everyone in then seal the box up uh, and anything going out has to be completely wiped down then left in the box for 10 minutes while that's all mm. the is, is sitting on it so sounds, it sounds, exactly hard. Like, sounds exactly
0: like the way my wife likes to run the kitchen in my head
2: <laughs> well yeah it, you can keep it nice and clean um, <laughs> and then especially when then you know it's, it's got Ebola in it as well and yeah. uh you sort of, you just have to do everything very very slowly yes. and have everything very ordered and try not to be too cluttered.
1: So I think we've established that you're clearly kind of you know an expert in uh, in virology in general. But I'm a chemist, so I don't know anything about this. So you're going to have to treat treat me like a total idiot here. So so let's start right the back of the start. So so what is a virus?
2: Well, uh, yeah, what is a virus? So it's. Um, I think you'd call it an intracellular obligate parasite. So it's something that needs a living cell to to survive. So you, you can't, you know, it can survive outside the body, but it can't replicate, okay? Or it can mm-hmm. you know, survive outside cells, but it can't replicate outside cells. Okay, so so,
1: so, so what should we be visualising? What's the anatomy of a virus? What does it look like? How big is it? You know, these kind of basic questions. Well,
2: I think that, yeah, that's the... I mean, that's one of the interesting things is that they're all completely different. So I suppose, and, and a lot of them derive their names from what they look like. So the coronavirus is is called coronavirus because it's it's out it's like a ball shape essentially, but it's outer um, it's outer sort of um, spike proteins. So these are the bits that uses to enter cells are quite quite big. Um, so when you look at it under electron microscope it looks like a crown. So there we are. We've then come up with a, a name for it. Corona virus. Mm. So it looks like it's got a crown. Whereas if you so think. Can,
0: of... we just, can we, can
2: we categorically rule out the fact that it's got anything
1: to do with Mexican beer then? <laughs> that's out of the window.
2: I think we can, yeah, we can, we can put that conspiracy. Thing All right. Put a, cross- okay.
1: I put a cross next to that question. That was my <laughs> yeah. next
2: one. That i had lined up. Okay. Well, we, uh, we're we're <laughs> here, but you know, then if you think of, you know, you've probably seen Ebola virus and that is an you know incredibly long um thin virus generally i think it's what you'd call pliomorphic, which means it comes in many different lengths and sizes flus like that as well but you know again that's more like a you know a, a strand of hair or a worm or something so you know that that group of viruses called you know the phyloviruses for the you know like filo pastry if you think of that think of those little thin strands of pastry so that's where it's you know deriving that sort of name from
1: and so how,
2: how big are viruses in general? So I think, you know,
1: most people have got some idea of, you know, how and how big are they relative to bacteria and then also to our cells?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, off the top of my head, um, you know, the, the relatives, I mean, they're a lot smaller than cells. So they've got to roughly. live in the cell. So you can't be yeah. too, too big there. So smaller than bacterial cells. You do get some giant viruses, right. which are, they've got, you know, and I think their, their genomes are, Getting close to the size of bacteria, actually, you might almost get a whole million bases of um, genetic material, whereas the coronavirus has got quite a big genome. It's got 30,000 letters in its genetic code. The actual size of the virus, though, um, Mm -hmm. you're talking on a uh, nanomolar scale generally. So I mean, a lot of viruses around, um, you know, that kind of fifty to um, one hundred nanomolar. Uh, so na- a nanometer. Na- yeah, nanometer. Yeah, sorry. Okay. <laughs> to concentrations. No, 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 it's fine.
1: Um, so okay, so so the so the coronavirus then um, named after the crown. That makes sense to me. So mm. where do they where did they come from? Uh, they came from animals, isn't that right?
2: Well, yeah, that's it. And that, you know, this is a uh, well, another fascinating thing to me. I mean, that, and, and it's, but it's, it's often a surprise to people is that if it, if something's living, it's got a virus basically. So um, you know, if that's a bat in a cave in China, in China it's got stuff full of viruses. Uh, maybe that's you know a, a brummy living down, uh, down. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. <laughs> That's also stuff full of viruses. So you're oh. saying
0: in my body at the moment, I've got loads of viruses crawling around inside my body.
2: Uh, well, I don't know about crawling, but yeah, I mean, we will we all you know, there's a few that kind of. Um, are, there, are there some
1: species of animal that are just much more because of their genetics much more susceptible to to viruses than others, um, or are they I all think, about yeah. the same?
2: Um, well, there's been a suggestion certainly, and there, there's a lot of evidence that perhaps uh, bats are more able to. Um, tolerate um, viruses and the diversity of viruses because they're quite unusual in that they, you know, it's a flying, they're a flying mammal. And I think their body temperature goes up a huge amount uh, when, relatively speaking, when they fly. And that's, you know, people sort of contrast that to like a fever state in humans and they're perhaps ad- adapted to that. And of course, they also, a lot of them live in huge colonies. So I think some of those things perhaps... Uh, you know, helpful for, well, to to perhaps generate the sort of, you know, diversity of virus, uh, viruses and, and potential for spillover to humans. But everything's got them, you know. The work we've done are just on kind of British and European wildlife, really. They're minding their own business, uh, but they still have their own viruses. Uh, they will live in a lot smaller groups. And, you know, I couldn't tell you too much about the ecology of the shrew. And the other <laughs> thing, course, is, you know, we don't know too much... About the, you know, if we find a virus in an animal, what, what is it? What does it do? You know, is it is it causing illness, or is it just kind of just happily kind of being replicating in small amounts, and that'll do for it as well? You know, if uh, if so a it's, shrew, it's, yeah,
1: with the so the idea, of so a perfect virus then would be something that's kind of replicating in the background of of a, of a brummy living in the south of England without yeah. him knowing anything about it. He's just yeah. going about his day, and he's, he's packed full of virus um, that has so no they, side yeah. effects. That would be the ultimate. Go- that was, I that's think what so. And,
2: and then it would be able to then spread to other people because that's what it's it's all about. It's just um, yeah, just about. It's something yeah,
1: quite yeah, like the like, Terminator <laughs> about it, isn't it? It just replicates and divides, what it is. It goes on forever.
2: And I trying. think that that's been the problem with you know with this virus particularly. If you contrast that to. Some of the other, um, you know, coronaviruses like SARS, um, the original, you know, SARS original, as so some people like to call it in the, in the field, um, or, or Ebola as well. I mean, those are, so if you think of those viruses and the disease they cause, it's so, it's so serious, hmm. it, it's easily spotted. In the club.
1: This bit, and that's the bit that makes it glow blue.
0: Sorry, I can't do the fiddy voice. You're a proper man man of action, Paddy. So these types of experiences, you're now. I think now you're working on the COVID pandemic. So you're actually actively working. In Nottingham, um, what yeah. sorts of things are you doing at the moment um, in the lab at Nottingham?
2: Yeah, okay. In in lab at Nottingham, well, you know, we t- what we try to do is just, but in this situation, build on what we, you know, what I normally do, which and I work quite close with the NHS diagnostic labs, anyway. So we've always been kind of, you know, well, we're always neighbours, and then we try to collaborate together as we do work on, you know, human infections. So what I've been doing for the last few years really is. Um, is sort of working on surplus diagnostic material um so in a diagnostic lab they're just you know they're processing all these samples are doing a fantastic job diagnosing everything um and then they have all this leftover material and after a while it all goes in the bin so i've yeah sort of become somewhat of like a, a molecular bin man in recent years when they're ready to uh ready to get rid of this stuff then I, I will i'll archive it now you know what what is that you take a patient swab you destroy all the cells you get the genetic material out that's maybe virus if it's there and all the you know the, the leftover uh human um material um and yeah that's that's frozen in tube at minus 80 so we've now been feeding those into a large uk consortium uh it's the yeah, COG, uh, COG group, COVID Genetics uh, Consortium, I think. Um, and a bit like Ebola and a lot of other outbreaks now, what people are doing is sequencing the entire genome of these isolates um, or these samples. People get very specific about isolates, more like a purified virus that's uh, you can actually grow. <laughs> but isolate samples, and we've um, yeah been sequencing those with our local... Um, deep sequencing um, gurus in the um, School of Life Sciences at uh, University of Nottingham, uh, and then feeding these genomes into big databases uh, nationally and also globally, and um, people are tracking the spread of the virus.
0: Your work with... Um- with, with voles and rodents. So you were talking earlier on about, you know, at the moment you're studying kind of the evolution of the viruses and how related they are to each other. Yeah. You've done a lot of work in that in, in rodents. And it seems that there are loads of these coronaviruses floating around just in British, like bank voles and all kind of rabbits and things like that. Yeah. I mean, these are natural reservoirs. Should we be worried about these coronaviruses which are, which are living in our rodent populations, like if my cat catches one?
2: Yeah, well, okay, yeah, quite, yeah, a lot of interesting, uh, yeah, points there. I mean, um, well, so it goes back to what, yeah, sorry, what we're talking about uh, digressed is that, you know, the viruses are everywhere, aren't they? So, yeah, any animal is going to have its its own, own virus, um, or many own viruses. So it'll have its own coronavirus, it'll have its own, um, you know, variety of other viruses. Um, but, yeah, so the way, well, we don't know what the what you call the zoonotic potential of these viruses is so zoonoses is you know transmission of an animal virus to um a human this is like a um, big thing this is the thing with this the is stuff. it but you also get then of course epizoonosis. so that is one animal to another perhaps proceeding uh, like a spillover to a human so-, so this is like from one animal
0: crossing the species barrier between animals yeah
2: yeah, so I think that you know that was heavily implicated in the original SARS, and there may well be a case for that in the current one, but we just don't know. Whereby you know we originally think we think the original SARS was um, in bats, and it was likely it was transmitted to perhaps um, you know another animal that was being um, you know sold for meat to the market because. You know, people do eat bats, but I mean, I think the, the the little tiny horseshoe bats that these a lot of these coronaviruses are in um, are, are not eaten. But they, you know, they can, can transmit to another animal. What
0: about Ozzy Osbourne? <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, he they're raining shots after he uh, bit the hair off that bat, didn't he? Yeah. Well I'm just thinking yeah. because like I mean, there are yeah. human coronaviruses. It's
1: only a thirty year old reference, Nick. Don't worry about that one. <laughs>
0: there are there are a lot of there are a lot of um, human coronaviruses and presumably the ones which are endemic in people, yeah. they originally must have jumped the species back. Absolutely, just, yeah. Out whether the because there are some that cause the common cold, as I understand it, or absolutely. Symptoms, there's, there's, there's and four, they must have right. from from animals. I mean, was yeah. there an event we know about in the past where there was another similar kind yeah. of like crazy epidemic?
2: Um, uh, well, not that we know about, but that's uh, that's the thing. You know, the the sort of work that I'm doing at the moment. So yeah, you'll we'll look at you know British wildlife. People in China will look at Chinese wildlife. You get all these sequences, and then you'll compare them. And this sort of relates to—it's very, very similar to what we're doing with the current COVID outbreak, genome sequencing. So you get as much genetic information as possible, and then you put all those things together in kind of a family tree of the coronaviruses. You can then make estimations on when the most recent common ancestor was of, say, the human virus you know about, and perhaps a, um, you know, a a evolved <laughs> a vole um, coronavirus you and, found in the UK.
1: Paddy, that's just from looking at the genetics of the virus, is that right? Yeah. So you, I mean, so you say it, that there's a mutation here in this specific bit of, of, of DNA, so that must have occurred prior to this point, and you build up the tree from that. Yeah, it's,
2: it's all about relatedness. So you say, well, okay, this, this human virus looks a little bit like this um, perhaps um, cow coronavirus we've got. Mm -hmm. Then we look at, we sequence the full genome of each of those, and then we put in a load of other members of the family tree, and we see, actually, they're still, they're pretty close, actually. We we can see that those are probably the most related viruses.
0: So I I had a quick look in your, so you've published this really interesting paper about the phylogeny, and one of the human covees, OC43, is dead closely related to something from cows. So I'm kind of like thinking in the past, maybe like, like a bank vole or some kind of rodent infected a cow and people were farming the cows and maybe that virus originally came from cow to human transmission. So maybe this could happen in Britain, right?
2: Well, yeah, quite. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, that is actually a very plausible explanation. I mean, I think the, the, the ancestor for the, that endemic, that's a beta human coronavirus. So it's kind of, so there's two endemic beta coronaviruses of which, um, uh, OC43 and HKU1 um, and they are the same yeah they're the same group as the the current um COVID-19 now you know one of those we only found because people started um, looking a little bit harder in um, people with respiratory illness but were negative for all the usual viruses so actually HKU1 is one of the endemic and that's for Hong Kong University um, so they discovered it in someone, I think, a seventy year old um, chap with uh, severe respiratory illness, but he he was negative for everything else. So they used actually, it's the same primers that we we then used their bit primers, their little bits of um, DNA to go fishing in samples. Um, they designed these primers and went fishing in this patient and found a new um, you know, found a novel coronavirus. Turns out then it was, you know, that was all over the world. So there was one we just completely overlooked because it, it wasn't that serious. We yeah. then used essentially their same fishing kit in our British wildlife. And then lo and behold, turns out they've got some coronaviruses as well. I think it's really
1: interesting. Because normally when you talk about genetics and things on the population level, it's all probabilistic, right? You say, on average, this increases your propensity for this. But with viruses, there was an event that Nick's talking about where a mouse bit a, bit, bit a cow or whatever there was
2: a single event (laughs) event. yeah i I know but but sure but when
1: when zoonosis happens or epizoonosis happens there is that 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 one event right there is that one time yeah
2: sometimes there's multiple ones i mean with things Uh, like um you know uh but yeah i suppose seeding it in a yeah seeding it in a population i mean you'd be able to trace all the so that's the endemic uh human coronavirus oc43 all the current circulating ones yeah would have a common ancestor so they yeah they would have all um ar- arisen from that single um spillover event and of course you know what I suppose you know the thing is yes yeah, maybe not a mouse you know it's a bit zombie thriller a mouse <laughs> a I think a, a more plausible um you know explanation perhaps is just you know the you know you'd have wildlife just you know um crapping over grass and cows are eating it a lot of these things and these animals are just seem to be in the enteric in the gut so it'll be ingested it'll start replicating you know the, the cow in the field then well how does it transmit to another cow it doesn't start biting the other cow so, right. then,
0: so it, tra- zombie
2: rodents <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was just wanting to to ask a bit more detail about the SARS viruses and how they yeah. relate to these sorts of things because there are two of these now and the first one SARS CoV was reported I don't know 20 years ago and there's a, there's yeah, a new one. I mean, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the history of those two, you know how they related and how they how they um, originated?
2: Yeah, well, so the. I think the, again, not an expert in this, unfortunately, but the, the coronavirus, the original SARS was, the, the spillover was believed to have occurred in a um, Chinese uh, wet market, I believe. Um, and, yeah. Wet what, what, the, what the hell is a wet market? I a mean, wet market, well, I mean, again, I think this is, you know, something I've sort of only read about a lot more recently. But I think, you know, in certain cultures, there is a, in, so, in certain cultures, there's just a need for protein. So if you think of like sub-Saharan Africa, then people are eating bush meat because they need to. You know, they they have to get that source of protein, and it's a source of livelihood for people as well. I think in other cu- cultures, we just like to eat interesting different things, don't we? You know, in the UK, we like to. Some people like pheasant, boar, and it's all. You know, your artisanal, you know, sort of production and markets is all quite interesting. Yeah, you can get hepatitis we E. e, e. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think certainly there was, particularly with economic growth in, 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 China, in China around the turn of the millennium, there's a lot of, the bit of an explosion in, in eating interesting things. Um, but then these things are not, you know, we, we like um, things done a bit differently with, you know, butchers and everything's out of our way. We don't like to see the meat prepared. I think, you know, in other places people like to look at, well, like to, you know, choose the animals, see it, and no, it's actually it was it was alive, not that long ago, and perhaps it was in. Therefore, maybe will taste better, or we'll certainly be certainly be fresher as well. But unless you then handle that in a sort of a, you know, the, the hygiene, keeping hygiene methods up, and then you talk about biosecurity. Then of course, in a market, you're bringing together all these animals that wouldn't normally mix. You maybe got people out hunting them in the wild. You know, maybe someone rounds up a load of animals and then keeps them in cages in a back cave for a while, and then brings them to market. Um, you know, we've we've certainly had spillover, for um, but it doesn't always have to be exotic animals as well. I mean, I think there's been cases of um, very yeah, deadly paramyxovirus uh, things like Nipah um, virus in in Malaysia and Bangladesh, where, and that's kind of uh, is, is you know, kind of touched on in the film Contagion and so on, whereby you've perhaps got a gag. Unfortunately, Bats is a bit of a suspect, but being, you know, in in contact more with what we'd consider. Our, yeah, um, and
0: I'm thinking of swine flu for instance. I mean, it's a different sort of virus, yeah. but intensive farming practices. In, exactly, in- yeah.
2: So on the one hand, you know, yeah, I think there is questions to be asked of these sort of wildlife wet markets. I suppose wet just being, you know, kind of live and, you know, uh, and so on but then also you know our intensive farming practices as well are again you, you're then encroaching into wildlife habitat so that's another way where you are you, you you're starting to you know mix more with with wild uh you know wild animals or you know i think there's certainly if you look at south america there's you know people are clearing um if where fields being cleared for agriculture and there's a lot you know grain and things around there's a lot of quite uh, yeah. serious han- um, uh, arena viruses and hantaviruses uh, in, um, um, in in those sort of rodents that then will kind of, you know, uh, appear in those sort of scenarios mm-hmm. as well.
0: That's fascinating. So SARS-CoV-1, the first SARS, yeah. I understand that came from a civet, some kind of like cat-like.
2: Yeah, that's what how, they...
0: they yeah. How was that discovered? How did people... Um, you know, find I, out like the,
1: I like the way Nick hes thinking that there's like a kind of Sherlock Holmes for animals somewhere in the NHS, just for figuring out whether it's a ferret or an eagle. Well,
2: <laughs> yeah. So all you can do really is the sort of stuff that we've dabbled in as you know, virus hunters of the East Midlands. I mean, it, sound, <laughs> it sounds quite exotic, but essentially we just need to we find some vets who've collected you know the stuff. The stuff. Can, the material can we, I just buy the film rights to that just before <laughs> not, I'll just talk about <laughs> that afterwards, but. You know, I mean, I suppose, you know, that, that's something as well. People might be thinking, right, you're you, you off out, you know, just on a kind of a British wildlife slaughter. Well, you know, again, a bit like with the, the human work, we try to just work on stuff that's already being sampled. So in the UK, we work with zoos who unfortunately have to lay a load of traps to make sure that, um, you know, the rodents don't um, become a problem in their animal enclosures. Uh, again, sorry, another tangent here, you know, you could, monkeys can catch uh, LCMV, which is an arena virus like Lassa fever. They can catch that off um, house mice, and that has happened in, in zoos in the past. So, so you've got pest control measures, and we, we tap into those. You, you know, in other places, yeah, it might just be, and people have done this, you get down to local markets where these exotic animals are turning up, and you just either buy the whole lump or you sample a little bit. And then, yeah, so how do you search for something that you don't know, you know, you, you don't know the prior information? So that's where, as I mentioned, similar to what we're doing here, you do deep sequencing. So this is a new sequencing technology um, that people are using for all, a variety of things whereby you just, you get a sample and you prepare the nucleic acid from it and then you just sequence absolutely everything in there. You sequence the whole lot and then you have to use... You know, intensive bioinformatics to look at all these pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. Essentially, basically, you've got so much information, a vast amount of information
0: that you just need a huge kind of power of yeah. analyse, computational power to, to try and pick out the, the the sort of patterns.
2: Yeah, you basically have you know maybe a million or billion piece jigsaw of these short fragments of genetic material, and then you sh- put it in a in a computer, and then that will do the jigsaw for you. Then you can. Then you sort of you look at all the bits you've put together, and you might have a little bit of a hayway in here, or you might have a little bit of a building over here, as it were, to continue the jigsaw analogy. And then, so then you say, okay, we've um, you know we've got this. Vi- you then got your SARS patient, so you would have done the same with the SARS patient, um, probably less so with deep sequencing back um, 15 years ago, but now. That's exactly what they did with the new COVID. They would have deep sequenced this patient said, right, we've got all this jigsaw. That's all human. That's all virus we know about. Now we've got a bit of a jigsaw, the whole piece of jigsaw. This is a, a coronavirus. We then, so can, uh, I just, can I
0: just stop you there? So this was probably in China when people were starting to get ill and they were thinking something new is happening here.
2: Yeah.
0: we need to work yeah. out what this is
2: yeah so it's a new diagnostic tool so you can use it for research and you use it not just obviously for virology but essentially yeah if you've got um you know like we mentioned before about you've got a patient and you've they're very sick you've screened them for flu for uh, rsv respiratory syncytial virus you've screened them for all the stuff you know about they're still negative you can then go to this deep sequencing and say right let's just get their respiratory tract sample Let's just sequence everything, put the jigsaw puzzle together, and then we compare to our uh, databases like GenBank and say, well, does this look like anything else we've previously seen? Then where a lot of the guesswork and a lot of the confusion and also conspiracy theories come from is that people then take that sequence and say, oh, well, it looks a bit like this, so that's probably where it's come from, or... Well, it was definitely from people eating bats. Yeah. But, but actually, the, I mean, the closest relative that's been found in bats of the current coronavirus, um, they, they think that diverged about 50 years ago. So what's happened in 50 years? You know, has, has it just spilt over from a bat? Or has, has a common ancestor, um, you know, was that, um, has, you know, has that spilt over into, yeah, a civic cat or, or whatever? Um, and then you know that we just don't know. You can't sample everything, and you can't sample what was in the you know the wet markets in November in Wuhan. So I understand um, the
0: people that the initial discoveries of SARS one and SARS CoV. You've done some work with. So um, this is Christian yeah. Christian Drosten in in the in the in Germany. He's yeah. kind of like taken on the kind of sort of chief science advisor, the Fauci role. Um, So would he have done those sorts of, um, use those techniques to discover SARS-CoV-1 and now SARS-CoV-2? Although that was a Chinese group, I understand. Um,
2: Yes. Um, So, yeah, Christian Drosten, uh, you know, is one of the sort of leading sort of um, experts in in coronavirology um, because, uh, you know, he was part of the team that, uh, discovered the original um, SARS in, uh, presumably I think that was in a patient in, um, I think that was a transmitted patient, well, sorry, a um, a patient that had uh, was in Germany because that's where the, um, um, you know, Drosten's from. Um, so, yeah, he would have um, probably used, back, back in those days, used more like the PCR fishing kit to sort of, you know, find a little bit, um a little mm. bit of the virus there uh, and then certainly he's been sort of working on that ever since really so he uh, was also involved in the discovery of the Middle East and the respiratory syndrome virus the MERS um, and' we're still working on that that was around 2015 and certainly done a lot of uh, a lot of work in some of the very early European cases of the current SARS as well so we we got involved with him because when we started to get into emerging infectious diseases we've done a lot of work previously on hepatitis c we used to do mainly bloodborne viruses in nottingham and um there's some very effective new treatments for those have been developed in the last 5 to 10 years so you've got to sort of move on really if you want to keep funding so then we looked into uh, getting into emerging infectious diseases like Ebola virus and coronavirus so we had a PhD student in Nottingham and we asked they had money to go and work in another lab for three months so we asked Christian Drosten and his colleagues Marcel Muller um, and uh, Jan Felix Drexler as well whether he could go and work with them so so that's why they um, um, Marcel Muller and um, Christian Drosten um, sort of feature on our yeah. page
0: well I note, yeah I noticed you'd publish with them on that you know survey of the sort of the evolution of coronaviruses in rodents I think that kind of illustrates how important it is to study these coronaviruses Absolutely. you know even in wild animals in Europe because you never from what I've been hearing from you Paddy you never really know where no. the next outbreak might come from so we have to do this basic research to yeah. try and sort of make sure we have the capacity and the knowledge to be able to respond to the next crisis
1: So how how do you kind of approach trying to treat the disease once there is an outbreak? You, you know, is it is do you look at what's been you know what's been successful in treating similar viruses before? Is that the place to start, or do you start from scratch? How does that work?
2: Yeah, um, well, you certainly you know the vaccines that are in progress are well, I mean, I think there's a lot of people having to go with whatever they whatever vaccine platform they've got, but the ones that are getting funded are basically ones that have been. You know trialed in people and they some of them being trials uh, or certainly animal experiments have been have been done with um, other coronaviruses so you say well here's something that we know induces uh, immunity to maybe middle eastern respiratory um, syndrome so we're not starting from scratch we know this is a, a a vaccine platform that is likely to be safe in humans and should induce some immunity some of the drugs that are being used, like this REMdesivir, is that was developed, I think, for Ebola and it wasn't found to be that great in Ebola, but you know, a lot of them are drugs that have a very broad antiviral activity. So mm-hmm. you know, that's the place to start. You know, a lot of these things, they can they can tolerate a fair bit of a mutation in the virus. If you're targeting one bit of the genome, it doesn't really matter the other bit's mutating. And, you know, viruses do mutate. They're, it doesn't usually confer huge um, huge changes to them. They, You know, a lot of it, time, it just makes the virus less fit. So they burn out as well. We just use those to, to, to track it. So, so yeah, essentially, you know, you should be looking at things like, and people are, at coronaviruses and flu and say, right, these, we know these are a threat. We need to put money into testing Treatments and vaccines that preferably will work against a whole group of these, mm-hmm. and then you can test in advance. Uh, but you know, unfortunately, then things like testing in advance, then people come back to conspiracy theories <laughs> and say, Well, you know, if you're growing bat viruses in the lab, and that, that's exactly what people are trying to do. So, you know, what are the properties of these viruses? Can they infect human cells? um then can we come up with a treatment against them certainly in a you know petri dish or or what have you um you know can we can we test in advance but yeah it's just it's striking that balance between as you say putting the right amount of money in it and then people either saying well that's a waste of money or that's too dangerous i mean i think a lot of the i don't think think
1: anyone would argue it's a waste of money at the moment i'm sure (laughs) No,
0: no, it's um, it's fascinating, and I'm sure there'll be many treatments, and there are vaccines undergoing trials at the moment, but we don't know at the moment whether or not they're going to be effective. So we're coming towards the end now, Paddy, of the of, of this. So just we, I mentioned earlier on, you worked with Christian Drosten and you also work with Professor Jonathan Ball at the University of Nottingham. I mean, quite active voices um in the in the debate and yeah. one of the, the, the things i noticed on the this sort of government advisory committee there's a lot of epidemiologists but it seems to be a bit of a dearth of virologists who are advising the government do you do you agree with with that criticism of what's going on or or is that is if is, the government got it broadly right in the advice that they've received
2: well you know it's it's tricky isn't it i mean i suppose um you know i'm not not a huge fan of the current government but you know it, it's very easy with hindsight uh, in the to say, well, we should have done this. We should have done that. I think there's certain things that, that that could have been done. But in terms of having virologists on there, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you kind of, as I've said, you know, I'm by no means an expert uh, in, in in all these facets that are so important to virology, of epidemiology, and you know, the, the sort of you know, the clinical manifestations and the you know, the basic virology and. Yeah, I mean, I think there, there is a scientific advisory committee and I think they're recruiting even more people at the moment. They're certainly the, one of the leading figures in this, the sort of the COVID genetics group I'm fitting into. Um, Andy Rambo is, uh, that's not as in the He's Rambeau called Rambo. He's wearing a bandana. More as a, a French, uh, as a sort of kind of, it sounds, sounds a little bit French. I don't think he is French. It's R A M. A, a UT, so uh, more than the um, philosopher. Well, I if Rambo more. was
1: on the case, it'll be fine, there's yeah. nothing to worry about.
2: We can go back to work, yeah. So, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it, he he would be, um, uh, I think he, he's feeding into those committees, and certainly he is, uh, I think I think he's up at Edinburgh. I mean, he's incredibly um experienced and well um cited leading figure in the field so people are feeding in i mean i think everyone's trying to do their bit you know jonathan my um my superior here is is doing um uh, you know a lot of um science communication so i think that's you know like you guys are you know do, doing here it's just sort of so important to try and you know get to get to sort of you know facts and get those heard over a lot of the um Frankly, ridiculous conspiracy theories. I so, said, you know, you, you don't. You don't need just I, I, just I mean, you on the
0: to, yeah. just on the conspiracy theories. So I, I, I occasionally meet a bunch of middle-aged chaps who I go cycling with, and yeah. I mentioned to them I was speaking to a virologist in the near future. So yeah. I asked them for questions, and they're a little bit <laughs> reticent. But one of them said he'd heard from a well-respected source that the virus had been engineered and it had got parts of the HIV virus in it. Yeah. And it had been come out of a lab in, in China. Can we totally yeah. debunk this myth?
2: Or- yeah, and that has been by people like Andy Rambo and um, Eddie Holmes, who we know we work with a bit as well. And, you know, they've had to write rebuttals to that. And again, that is, that is the efforts of, you know, someone having a punt with coronavirus research. So we've got a sequence let's see what it looks like on GenBank. oh there's you know a tiny 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 fraction of this virus we've never seen before that looks a little bit like a bit of hiv therefore it must have been engineered in the lab i mean you know as a virologist I think well why would i want to engineer a bit of hiv into it i mean that's, i know, think i not.
1: think as well for a lot of these conspiracy theorists that the you know they're treated with disdain by typically by experts and and that's that fuels the fire even more it so does. because they won't it's, turn no. around and go look i'll explain to you why this is rubbish you know like you know there is a fifty thousand killer kilobases and you're talking about five five bases which match or whatever it yes. happens to be you know
2: and i think that's it now, those those guys have taken the trouble to write mm. proper uh, rebuttals and get those pu- uh published i think um i think i can't remember if it was um yeah uh, andy rambo and uh, but certainly eddie holmes and other people in the field have you know published a, page, a paper i think in nature i think yeah christian anderson who's another guy in the states and they they point by point you know made this case for the you know for the origins um you know the, the 5g one as well i mean i don't know much about 5, 5g but you know, if we could control viruses in the lab with five G, I think we'd all be doing it because <laughs> experimental setup. Um, you, know, you, you would have a hint there. You know, these things build up in the field. If someone's managed to come up with a radio-controlled virus in the lab without, you know, bragging about it to anyone, I mean, that's just
1: yeah. You definitely yeah. get you definitely get some yeah. grants if you had that. When
2: <laughs> then a release from a lab, I mean, you know, the people then start thinking. Well, you know, we talked about you know the bats and looking in animals, so. It seems to be that someone in, a, in a, the highest containment of lab, uh, you know, some of the theories have just that been that, well, yeah, they were finished with the animals there, so they thought they'd just sort of put them in their bag and take them down the local market and sell them. I mean, it's just utterly ridiculous. It just, that, that does not happen. Um, so
0: Trump Trump said, that we're, we're talking, we're, this interview, listeners, this is the 1st of May, Trump said last night that he'd seen evidence that the virus had escaped from a lab in Wuhan. Um, which is contrary to the intelligence that uh, had been released. Yeah, so this is a totally nonsensical explanation. The reason I ask is that I know one of the foot and mouth outbreaks was originated from a leak from perbrite. So these things can do, these things do happen from time to time.
2: Yeah, they can happen. And that was, you know, the, the, the effluent, the waste was not properly treated there. You know, and unfortunately, then it's being leaked into the countryside where you've got a load of susceptible animals as well. You know, as we've sort of talked about, you know, there's there's just thousands of different types of viruses, and we've got all the plausible mechanisms for these to spill over naturally. It's just, uh, you know, people will draw conclusions that, well, because there's a lab in that city... Um, you know that that's where it must have must have come from, but um, you know it, it'd be very very unlikely to um, you know the, the the people in Wuhan would not have already published that that virus sequence anyway. So we'd you know to have one fresh that they knew was going to you know be a of pandemic potential. Yeah, it's yeah perfect. It's fairly preposterous.
0: Okay, well. I think that's a really fascinating overview of yes, the virus, you. its effects. So some of the virology, it's really been excellent to, to see you Paddy and to chat with you. And I hope all of that's our lovely listeners lovely. enjoyed the chimwag. And, you know, after, after this podcast, if you've got any, any questions, um, you can find us all on Twitter. Um, I'm at the Evans lab.
1: I'm at Steve, the chemist.
2: And Paddy. Uh, I'm at postdoc Pat. <laughs> Ah,
1: that is a great twitter handle (laughs) that is a great twitter handle
0: so please do interact with us and if you want to you know if you've got any follow-up questions then you'd be very welcome so yeah it's been a sincere pleasure having you on on the science shed today thanks very much good luck with everything you're doing you know wish you the very best with um all of the research we look forward to some more exciting results soon why do we need no. Patrick. Oscar. Isaac
1: transplanting Wow wow I hope everyone enjoyed that that was really interesting wasn't it
0: Nick? Uh, I learned a lot I mean I, I did I did do a little bit of reading and sort of read around a bit before we we interviewed yeah. Pal, that I've, I really enjoyed that conversation because it was coming from someone who you know has worked really for 20 years on viruses and specifically on coronaviruses so it really earned an authority.
1: No, definitely and i think you know it's these are exactly the type of people we need to be explaining the problems you know not just uh not just people that to kind of uh you know, integrate this for sound bites of people actually people that have been understanding been on the been literally been on the on the front line you know in sierra leone you know uh with ebola it's an incredible story um so yeah. i suppose we hope everyone enjoyed that um yeah. and um we you know we might come back to paddy um nick and i are planning on doing this little coronavirus nuggets aren't we nick
0: we're trying to get this up and running so we're trying to
1: do a short little factoid um, on a fairly regular basis about the virus yeah so the the shedlings can look forward to that not just these big interviews but also maybe just some little bits of information about the about covid19 because it's an interesting time when you know the you know when the, the zeitgeist interacts with hardcore science and that's exactly what we're about nick isn't it
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Staying at the cutting edge.
1: (laughs) I think we'll have to speak to some people to stay well-informed, Steve. That's true. So (laughs) so we just wanted to say thank you again to Dr Patrick McClure of Nottingham University. Uh, Fantastic uh, authority and a really, really interesting discussion. Hello! Hello! Oh, Steven, I, oh, oh. I enjoyed
0: that, I did enjoy
1: oh, it. You know what, Brian, I thought we, were, I thought you weren't going to make make. A, I just sort of popping in at the
0: end because uh, you I was unpop- listening in and it's yeah. nice to have a guest and I enjoy a bit of the
1: old, you know, viruses and stuff. I had a nasty yeah. one a few, couple of years ago. Oh dear, how did, you, did you have a cup of tea and sort it out?
0: I'd been a oh. bit achy, I couldn't oh. even dry, drink my Banksies
1: anymore. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How, how are yeah. you doing in lockdown, Brian? You enjoying it? i have lovely I've been working in my shed, mate. Oh, yeah, we, doing a bit like of gardening, doing a bit of it with radishes coming up at the moment. Your radishes are fantastic. Well, my wife's put the radishes in, so they're coming oh, Marjorie, up. Marjorie, yeah, we we heard all about Marjorie. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, so so how are you? Um, what do you think? What do you think about the virus, uh, 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 Brian? What do you think is going to happen with it? It's going to go. It's just going to go. It's Going to go. Yeah. Well, oh, there we go. Problem gonna solved. Go.
0: Sorry. I've heard um, people are people are paddy on the. You know when you're talking to him, and you've got a load of people like that, to think we're going to beat it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think. Anyway, mate, right,
2: gotta work. go. See you later.